Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. How do you follow that up, right? That's like... One of the things here at Freedom Church is we want to believe and invest in the next generation, and we want to create atmospheres where everybody, those people that have been to church, have not been to church, will get something out of service because we want Jesus to be glorified in everything that we do. That's why we're going to be unorthodox, unapologetically, to reach people who are far from God. I'm so, how many of you guys enjoy the new chairs? You got some more cushy for your tushy. You love that, right? That gives me a little bit more to preach a little longer today. Man up. We got our... We got our sound panels in, so talk to my wife, Jennifer, you want to help set those up as we're, things are coming together. I'm so thankful for all your giving and your sacrifice. Thank you for being part of this, and every single, every single one of you, as we're contributing, as we're giving, God is painting a great story of Jesus in our city. We're, man, I've uh, got an announcement to make. I know we had the, uh, man, uh, kind of a discouraging announcement, but not really, because we're going to kind of flip it up. Dr. Roy was Freedom Week, and it was supposed to be next week. But he had, an, he had something happen in his family, some challenges that were taking place, and he could not make it. I know, I know. So we're going to reschedule that. That's okay. But what we're going to do, for sure, we're going to get another one planned. But still, we're going to ha- still have a freedom weekend next week. I took his class. I, he's one of my mentors. So I'm still believing God to set people free. We're not going to the whole, have the whole entire freedom weekend, but I'm going to preach a message on freedom. So this is what I want you to do. I'm going to believe God to set people free. I'm going to walk through some of the things that he's taught me in some of those classes. But I want you to fast and pray at least. I know we just finished a week of prayer and fast, 21 days. But at least one day this week, we're not going to believe that God's going to set people free. So, man, come with the atmosphere of just believing God to move. And we're going to have a time where we're going to talk about some of the things we've been talking about, the rivals of our soul, some spiritual stuff. And we'll believe God to do some amazing things. I'm going to continue, my, we'll continue our series, Rival, with talking about the battle against you. I'm talking about your spiritual bully. How many of you guys were bullied growing up? Maybe you were bullied growing up. Raise your hand, you know. I was bullied growing up. There was a kid. His name was Isaac. He flunked three times. He was like a full-grown man in third grade. And uh, every day I'd walk into the bus, he'd take me to the back of the bus. He'd give me a whole bunch of knuckle sandwiches. He'd take my lunch money, and then he'd make me lick his shoes. Man, and if you've ever been bullied, especially as a kid, man, it's embarrassing. You're humiliated. I didn't tell anybody about it. But you know what I did do? I went to the school. This was before instructional YouTube videos. But I checked out the school library martial arts books. This was like I was inspired by the bullying of Karate Kid. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, but I had no Mr. Miyagi, and I didn't really connect it, so they never really worked that well. But I read a bunch of books, but I never tested my ability to attack the bully. Then I got to junior high, and thank God puberty hit. I started lifting weights. I joined the wrestling team, and the bullying stopped. Then I got to college, and another bully appeared on the scene. His name was Ed Walker. He was actually my friend Steve Flores' first roommate. This guy was six foot three inches tall. He weighed 400 pounds. He was 50% fat, 50% muscle. I think he uh, was allergic to H2O. He hardly bathed. He smelled like Whataburger with extra onions that's been baked in the hot Texas sun. No doubt. He had long, greasy, stringy blonde hair, and his calling was to torture incoming freshmen. 
So what would happen is Ed Walker, every day after delivering pizzas, he would come in, you'd hear him, it was like an earthquake, boom, boom, boom. He would buy an onion from H-E-B, eat the onion, and he'd have a gallon of Sprite, drink the Sprite, and he would burp in your face. Like he would literally go to your door, knock on the door with his head, boom, 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 open the door, it was disgusting. He tortured everybody. He did this to everybody. And every once in a while, he'd go to every individual room. He would take off his shirt with his gross, slimy man suit. And he would literally just smother you in man juice. It was disgusting. One day, he had the audacity, I heard it, to climb up into my room. Got to realize, I'm about a buck fifty. But I'm a mean, lean fighting machine. I've been wrestling. I've been training. I, I was bench pressing about 330 pounds at 150. I know this guy's a big guy. But homeboy better not come. I'm from the hood, dude. I'll cut you, bro. <laughs> so he, start, he starts coming into my place, and he goes after my friend, Jimmy Jack Montgomery, first. Takes off his shirt, pulls down his mattress, gets him, throws him on, takes off it, man, puts, just rubs his juicy man suit all over my friend. He's like, oh, he's literally crying. And then afterwards, he's coming at me. And I said, bro, it's going to be on like Donkey Kong. So I measured up the situation. Those of you who know wrestling, I shot a low single leg on him. Either he falls on me and I die or I'm taking him down. So I shot the low single leg take him down, put him in the viper, and I'm just squeezing him. And I'm like, who's your daddy? Like, who's your daddy, Ed? You are. You better right believe I'm your daddy. And don't ever come. Are you going to come in here? No. Leave me alone. Put on a shirt. Nobody wants to see that, I told him. True story. True story. He gets up, says, I'm sorry. Please don't tell anybody you did that to me. I won't, but please don't bother me anymore. And the bullying stopped. And the Bible teaches us, what does that have to do with the message? Here's the transition. The Bible teaches us we have a spiritual bully. And that we fight him when we stand against him. See, we have three spiritual battles that we're facing. The world, the sinful nature, and the devil. The Bible says when it comes to our flesh, we flee. We run from it. But when it comes to the devil, that we stand against that because we got to learn to stand against our spiritual bully because God wants to do big things I'm going to teach you this morning how to stand against the enemy and come against his tactics see the Greek word for devil is the word diablos diablos it means diabolical so a lot of people today they don't believe in the devil actually Barna did this study of 871 self-described Christians and the results of the study, study were frightening of what they believe or should I say they don't believe about the devil. They found out that 40% agreed with the statement that the devil is not a living being, but he's just a symbol. And 19% agree somewhat. More than half of Christians in America don't even believe the devil's a real being. Only 35% of Christians believe that he's there. And a lot of people believe, oh, what's going on? Is there a devil? Is he real? Is he some dude with a pitchfork and a leotard? But let me tell you this. Even if you don't consider yourself religious, 
He said, I don't care about that spiritual stuff. There is some really dark stuff that's happened throughout, our, our, throughout the centuries. Just look at the Holocaust. The Holocaust was not just something where a group of people got ticked off and went on a killing spree. For years, they planned the complete annihilation of a race. They thought it out. It was justified by the philosophers and religious leaders of the day, by government officials. Another way to think something so horrific like child pornography. We're not talking just normal, natural desires. We're talking way beyond the scope of desires. See, the idea of the 20th century is that you would just change sociological, psychological, and biological factors if you give people better homes, better educations, and change their economic status, then everything would self-correct. Then we lived through the bloodiest century in the history of all mankind, the 20th century. We saw Stalin, Stalin and his murderous atrocities. We witnessed the Holocaust. We saw the killing fields of Cambodia. And Andrew de Blanco, a self-described secular liberal at Columbia University, wrote in a book called The Death of Satan. He opens up with this book, and this is, this is a sentence he says, A gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and our intellectual resources of coping with it. The evil that was always there is still there. We got rid of the idea of sin and sinners. We got rid of the idea of original sin. We got rid of the idea of the devil. And now we're absolutely astounded by the fact there is clearly something beyond what we can manage or control here, and we have no way of dealing with it. But the Bible doesn't have a problem of dealing with this idea of evil. The Bible talks about it. It happened. It originated in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 when Satan rebelled against God. Pride came over and he deceived angels and he he deceived humans to follow our sinful nature. And now we are in a place where we realize that we need more than psychological help. We need more than sociological help. We need spiritual help against the enemy that we're facing. Look at what Peter describes about this battle that we face in Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle. One of the things that I, I wrestled in high school because I was too short to play basketball, my favorite sport, and too slow to play football. So I just wanted to go against somebody my own size. I wrestled. And wrestling, you got to be, that's the best shape that you got to be in. There's, there's football shape, there's basketball shape, and there's wrestling shape. Wrestling, have you ever wrestled? You just messed around somebody for a couple minutes. You're like, <gasps> And this is the intensity of the battle that Paul is telling us. It's a wrestling match. They would know in the Greco-Roman mindset that it was wrestling was a sport that was, even back then, one of the oldest sports in the world. He says, this is a wrestle. It's going to be exhaustive. It's a challenge. And the wrestle is against the, it's not against the flesh and blood. But Paul says, recognize your real enemy. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. It's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I want you to notice the word against appears five times in two verses. Paul tells us there's an unseen, invisible battle that is happening right now. See, in our natural world, seems fascinated with the idea of the supernatural. People are really into vampires. Have you noticed? They're into UFOs and ancient aliens. The other, the other day I was watching an ancient alien show. I'm not sure what it was about because I was sober, but uh, it was interesting. But the reality is there is this story that came out from the International Space Station that was filming Earth. Out of nowhere comes this triangular craft that just hovers over the view of the camera, and then it disappears. Anybody see that? It, it, it became declassified. And these theorists are saying there's, that's evidence of alien life. 
It defied the laws of the natural universe. But I would suggest to you, if it's not from another planet, it's probably a visit from another realm. That if it's not natural, it's supernatural. And renowned astrophysicist and apologist, one of the greatest minds that we have in Christian apologists about just studying astrophysics, uh, a guy by the name of Dr. Hugh Ross, he wrote a book called Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men. He studied thousands of UFO encounters from the centuries, and he's interviewed people involved in recent sightings, and he said in almost every instance, these encounters are preceded by occultic practices and demonic worship. That when you start looking into it, that the people that had these encounters, they got real involved with the spiritual realm. So what, what I'm telling you is this. There is a spiritual realm that is going on all around us. And we don't see it. And much of what we see is not just natural, it's supernatural. And when we experience this supernatural stuff, it's not going to be like the exorcist where someone's head starts spinning around and they start throwing up green stuff. But Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, that Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. That he goes between the natural and the supernatural. It's not just a problem at work. It's not just you and your spouse can't get along. It's not just that this desire is controlling you and consuming you and you have no control over it. It's not just your friends see the world differently. It's spiritual warfare. And in Ephesians 6, 11, we need to stand and fight against these, what the Bible calls the schemes of the devil. The Greek word for schemes is the word methodia. It means methodical. It means strategy. There was a book that was written 2,600 years ago in China. It was required reading for the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency. The title of the book was The Art of War by Sun Tzu. In the third chapter, the 18th principle, he said this, that if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you will not fear the result of 100 battles. But if you know yourself and not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. What's true of physical war is also true of spiritual war. And that's why this morning I want to let you know how the enemy attacks. That's why Peter wrote, be sober-minded, be watchful in 1 Peter 5, 8. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who can devour. The devil is mentioned or referred to 250 times in the New Testament. It's almost one time per chapter. So because God clearly wants to know there's a devil, he wants us to know how he acts. And I began to look through the Bible and underline every verb that was associated with the devil. And here's just a list that I compiled. The devil deceives, he seduces, he opposes, he resists, he steals, he kills, he destroys, he sows terror, he hinders, he buffets, he tempts, he persecutes, he blasphemes, he accuses, he condemns, he lies, he brings division, he murders, he rebels, and so much more. But, the, but I want to break down some things that the Bible talks about the devil so you can know how to stand against this spiritual bully. And I want you to especially say this outline, go take a screenshot of it and our all-access pass, because I want you, when you're having your devotions at home, this is what I want you to do. I want you to give some thought about how the enemy is trying to attack you so that you can know how to fight against him. I want you to recognize his schemes because his schemes never change. They're always the same. And here's the first thing that I want you to know about the devil. The devil is the great deceiver. John, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44, that he was a murderer from the beginning. He is the liar and the father of all lies. What he does is he will put just thoughts in your mind, lies in your mind. Do you really believe God created the earth? 
Surely there's a better idea, man. Come on, we've evolved. Evolution makes more sense. Surely your relatives were apes hanging on a tree, and now today he's a doctor with a PhD. Come on, that makes way more sense. See, let me tell you, it's not just your mind wandering, it's the enemy attacking. He'll whisper stuff that like, did God really say that? Are you sure that's there? He is a liar. The first thing he ever said in Genesis 3, 1, the serpent said to the woman, did God really say? The second thing I want you to see about the devil is he is the great accuser. Revelation 12, 10 says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He is bringing accusations against God's people day and night. See, before you sin, he'll deceive you. Oh, you need to try that. You need to have that experience. You need to do that. You need just, man, go ahead. Take that drink. Just go ahead. Indulge yourself in that pleasure. Just go ahead and do that. And then afterwards, oh, you're a dummy. I can't believe you did that. You're such a dork. Like, you're going to be in church this morning. You're going to raise your hands. You're going to, man, he'll, he'll get you to do something crazy. And then after you do it, he'll make you feel like the biggest moron for doing it. Oh, you want to worship God after you did that last night? Oh, you're going to come over here and act all holy, huh? Oh, what if everybody saw what you did? See, here's a good way to know if it's the devil speaking. Let me tell you, the devil always speaks in second person. He never, we speak to ourselves in the first person. The devil always speaks in second person. He always says, you, and then fill in the blank. You're no good. You're unworthy. You're unlovable. You're not a good mother. You're such a failure. You'll never amount to anything. You're such a screw-up. When God speaks, it's with conviction, and it brings you back to Jesus, and it puts the attention on Jesus. When the enemy speaks, it's with condemnation, and it puts attention on everything that you've done. See, this is how you know the difference. When God's speaking, God, conviction is always going to point to the cross and the mercy that God has for you. But condemnation is always going to point to your actions because there's no hope in your actions, but there is hope on the person who died on the cross for you, and that's Jesus Christ. Next thing about the devil, he's the great divider. He divides. He divided heaven with a third of the angels since the beginning. He separated and divided man and God from relationship. He orchestrated division in the first family, putting Cain against Abel. Whenever the enemy is working, there's always going to be division. He divides families with divorces. He divides nations with political ideologies. He's always dividing. And he loves to divide the people of God. How many of you guys ever wonder, why there's so many churches and church splits and church challenges? Because the enemy works through division. He'll fill your mind with suspicion. See how they looked at me? See what they said? Man, they're not treating me the same. They don't really like me anymore. See, this is what the devil loves to do. The devil loves to get people really involved in church and then cause this thing called church hurt. Instead of forgiving, instead of resolving conflict biblically, people get bitter and they get lost in a sea of unforgiveness because the goal for the devil is to divide brothers and sisters, to present them from using the gifts to build the body of Christ. And if the enemy understands that he can divide us, then he could realize that he could stop the enemy, what God wants to do in our lives. But if we would understand his schemes, we would realize him with bitterness, with unforgiveness, that we're playing into the hands of the enemy, that that unforgiveness, that pride, we wouldn't be so petty about little stuff. Because that's the methodology, the schemes of the enemy. The next thing about the devil is this. He is the great destroyer. Look how he destroyed everything in Job's life. He destroyed his cattle, his children, his wealth. The Bible says in John 10, 10, that Jesus said the enemy comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I love what the Apostle John said in 1 John 3, 6. Write this down. Man, make this one of your life verses. 
The reason the Son of God appeared, I love this. The reason the Son of God appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. The enemy wants to destroy your life, but Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The late Swiss theologian Oscar Coleman has noted, it said this, that every great military campaign in history turned on the outcome of a single decisive battle. Waterloo decided Napoleon's fate. The Battle of Gettysburg turned the American Civil War in the North's favor. The D-Day invasion of the Allied forces into France sealed the outcome of World War II. In the same way, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was a turning point of the spiritual battle against the devil. It's said of Napoleon Bonaparte as he attempted to conquer all the kingdoms of the known world that he would spread out a map on a table and he would point to his lieutenants, and he dressed his lieutenants, and he pointed to a specific place to all of those he commanded. Sirs, if it were not for that red spot, I would conquer the world. The spot to which he pointed was the British Isles. The very nation that met Napoleon at Waterloo in Belgium and defeated him. And I have no doubt that the enemy, when he brings his, de his demons and he brings his hunchmen, he says, if it were not for that red dot on that hill of Calvary, I would have won the battle. But guess what happens? The red dot exists. The blood of Jesus is still there. And because of the blood of Jesus, we have victory over the devil. Now, I'm going to teach you how to fight as we close, how to stand against the devil's victory. First thing you got to do is you got to stand in Christ's victory. See, we fight from victory, not for victory. That's the challenge. We, we try to get ourselves right. We, we try to win the victory. Let me tell you, the victory is already won. We stand in that victory. That's why we stand in the gospel, of the peace of the gospel that's made us right with God. See, we flee from our sinful nature, but we stand against the devil. Interesting, when a lion is on the prowl and it roars, how, that's a metaphor that, that Peter uses in describing the enemy. They roar to cause the prey to run, and another lioness is ready to pounce the enemy, to pounce the, the victim on the run. But, but this is what Paul says, to be strong. Not because he'd been lifting weights, not because he'd been reading martial arts books, not because he took a wrestling. To be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the strength of whose might? Of his might. Put on the whole armor of God and, what's that word? Stand against the schemes of the devil. It's like one of my favorite movies of all time, Lion King. You know when the hyenas are going after him and he just kind of stops? Watch, watch, check this out. Check out this scene. I love it real quick. Watch this. Kitty, kitty, kitty. <laughs> that was it? <laughs> Do it again. If you ever come near my son again. Oh, this is this is your son. Oh, yours? Oh, did you know that? No, me? I, I didn't know. No, did you? No, of course not. Oh. Ed? Doodles. 
when the lion, man, this enemy comes against us, there's a greater, a stronger, a more alpha lion in the back. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. We can't roar on our own strength, but when we stand in his might, we have victory. So this is how the enemy comes against you. Oh, you're such a screw-up. You've messed up. God can never use you. You're Like, you want to worship God in the midst of this? You want to lift your hands to God in the middle of this? Man, did you know what you did last night? He says, yes, I know what I did. But let me tell you, while I was still a sinner, Christ died in my place. And I don't worship because of my worth. I worship because he's worthy. Because the best time to worship is the moment after you mess up. The best time to pray is the moment you call on God. Because you're a child of God. You're a son of God. We stand on what Christ has done. We don't stand on our own strengths. We've got to remember, we're in Christ. And so many times, condemnation tries to get us to, oh, yes, we're a little Simba. We're a weak little lion by ourselves. But if we just stand back and say, hey, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the weight of the cross is in my failure, God is with us. I'm not worthy to be a Christian. I'm not worthy to preach the gospel. But guess what? Because of his actions, he makes me worthy. Because of his blood and death, that's worthy. And I don't stand on those moments. When the enemy accuses of my worst moments, I remember, I remember and I remind him what Jesus did on the cross for me. Next thing we got to do, stand in Christ's victory. We got to fight with spiritual weapons. Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the whole armor of God. See, if there's an enemy coming into my family, you know what I'm going to do? They're going to go attack my girls. I'm not going to sit in my bedroom sucking my thumb, hoping, hope they don't get my girls. I hope they don't get my girls. I hope they don't get my girls. I'll tell you what I did. Remember one time after uh, traveling and coming home late on a Friday night, get to bed, didn't really talk to Jennifer the girls because I was so late. In the middle of the night, I heard literally the door open and shaking and everything. I'm, I'm in the middle of the night. So you know what I do? I transformed. I jumped out of bed. I transformed into Rocky, Jackie Chan. I uh, Man, I'm like Chuck Norris. I'm like, dude, John Wick. I'm opening the door. I'm running with all my might. You know, I was going to be on like Donkey Kong. Nobody messes with my family. Come bring it. And I opened the door, and I realized that uh, Alana had a early morning 5 a.m. thing with the cheerleaders that they were going to go right there and I'm opening the door. Hey, babe. I love you. <laughs> Close the door and, and I go back in there. I woke up Jennifer, of course, and she said, babe, like, what are you going to do? Like, you're in your underwear. You don't even have a knife for your gun. <laughs> That's the way some of us go against the enemy. We're unprepared and undressed. Bible says we got to put on the whole armor of God. Put on the helmet of salvation. Here, here's what we got to realize. It's not just our minds wandering. It's the enemy attacking. If you don't recognize that, you'll let your mind mess with you. See, Augustine says, we can't help it if a bird flies over our head, but we can help it if it builds a nest. We need to put on the belt of truth. We need to anchor down in God's word. That's why we need to know God's word. Sometimes we doubt our beliefs and we believe our doubts. I would say, let's flip that. Let's say, let's believe our beliefs. Let's get down on what we believe, and let's begin to starve and doubt our doubts. When the enemy attacks, don't trade what you do know for what you don't know. 
Man, you know what? I don't know why this thing's happening to me. I don't know if I'm going to get a job. I don't know if my spouse will change. I don't know why I got that bad report. But I do know that God takes what the enemy meant for good and turns it bad and turns it for my good. I know that God is with me. I know that he's for me. I know that he'll leave me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I know that God's with me. And finally, the full armor of God is we have one offensive weapon. That's the word of God. And every time the enemy came against the devil, I mean, every time the devil came against Jesus, what did Jesus say? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word, every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So turn, throw yourself off the cliff and see if the angels rescue you. It is written, thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test. Over and over, you got the word of God to be something that we fight against the devil. And finally, here's what we should do. As the, as the worship team comes up, as we close this service, we should learn to push back against the devil. Push back. If God is doing anything in your life, the devil and the demons are going to fight it. And you must learn to push back. The acrostic for push is this. You got to pray until something happens. You got to pray through. And I want you to see, a lot of times, a lot of people miss this. But in this section of spiritual warfare, Paul kind of gives us these grenades that are the key to win the spiritual battle. He talks about the armor of God, but he, cl he tells us in verse 18 how it's won. By praying in all times in the spirit, with all prayer supplication. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, talking about prayer, making supplication for all the saints. Notice how many times the word prayer, a synonym for prayer is used. The spiritual battle is won through prayer. See, there's a spiritual fight. You see it all throughout Scripture. Daniel chapter 10. He's praying for God to answer this prayer. The prince of Persia stops him for 21 days. It blocked Daniel's prayer. The devil tries to delay God's plan for your life. Look what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. For he, we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But what did he say? But Satan stopped us. See, the enemy wants to stop the plans of God and the purposes of God for you. But when we does, this is what you need to do. You need to stand. You need to put on the armor of God. And you need to push back and pray against it in prayer. Some of you right now, you're facing an attack. It's not just natural. It's not, it's not just your job. It's not just, it just, it's not just life. There's a spiritual battle. You know it's a little more intensified right now. And this is what the enemy's wanting to do. He's wanting you to run. But the word of God says stand. Stand in the gospel. Stand in the weaponry of the spirit. Begin to pray and see what only God can do. He can bring forth the victory. I want everybody to stand to your feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Benito, I'm in a spiritual battle. And I recognize some of those things. This is not just a natural discouragement. This is not, I know that the enemy is attacking me right now. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. That's you, just raise your hand. You feel like a, you're feeling this, this spiritual attack. This spiritual attack. Lord, I pray for your people. Everybody that raise their hands, Lord. Here's what I would remind them. Lord God, that they would not listen to the you. They would not listen to you, 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 you. They would listen to others in Christ. The accusations would be gone. Lord God, the destroyer, I rebuke the devourer off your people, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray that they would stand in the mighty work of the cross, in the victory that you have. Lord God, bring encouragement, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we stand in the blood of Jesus. And I just felt it would be appropriate to sing 
end with this chorus as we sing, we're going to see a victory. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.